So today we're getting started on the next step of the path. So we'll start the month that's devoted to wise effort. And we'll talk a lot about that today, of course. And just to say as a, a short introduction that uh, the steps we've done up to now were in two distinct um, sections on the path, right? We had the wisdom section of wise view and wise intention, and then we had the ethical, so-called ethical conduct section on wise speech, wise action, wise livelihood. And so we're now on to a new section of the path, <laughs> and this is a section devoted to development of the mind, and I'll, I'll talk about that more. But it's a very natural transition, actually. You might think, well, this is a little abrupt, but it's not. Uh, there's at least several ways in which they flow together very naturally. Are there any uh, outstanding questions from Wise Livelihood before we move on? Not that it's your last chance ever, since you can talk with your mentor, but it just seemed like a moment. Anyone need to ask something before we go on? Okay, good. So let's go ahead and, and do our guided sit then in order to arrive. I know we've just sat down. So finding a posture that's comfortable and also upright. Feeling that your body is somehow straight but not held rigid. Whether you're in a chair or on the floor, you can touch into the contact points where you're sitting. So the feeling of the seat against the chair or the cushion, the legs or the feet against the floor. Just that feeling of stability. You can let go into that and allow yourself to be supported where you're sitting. gently relaxing and inviting ease through other parts of the body. So allowing the muscles of the face to soften, like around the forehead and the eyes, around the mouth. Sometimes I think of my forehead kind of smoothing out And then softening the eyes and the eye sockets. Even inside the head, imagining that there's a thinking muscle that you can relax a little bit. Like having a fist and then you just loosen the fist a little bit. down through the throat and the collarbones.
allowing the shoulders to relax, just letting them drop, and then the shoulder blades kind of slide down the back, so when the shoulders relax, they don't slouch forward, they just drop a bit. Softening the arms. And down through the heart area, the rib cage. And then letting the belly release. The hip joints, the groin muscles. Letting go of any bracing in the legs. Noticing the any clarity of the mind that's present from having a body that's a little bit more soft, <clears throat> a little bit more relaxed, and yet there's still that clarity, that alertness. And with that Awareness, we can notice our mind. What's in the mind right now? If there are thoughts, what sort of thoughts are they? Planning, anxiety, happy thoughts. Or if there are emotions, what emotions are present? Peace, sadness, contentment. Irritation. Already in the act of noticing Mindfulness has the quality of strengthening wholesome states and weakening unwholesome ones. It's just one of its qualities. But for this sit, we will consider taking a little bit of an active role in the mind. We prefer the wholesome states. The unwholesome ones aren't bad or wrong. They're not personal failings. 
but we just see if we can gently, deliberately turn the mind toward the more wholesome ones. Any sense of ease in the body or mind, any feelings of contentment or some lingering happiness from the sunshine outside. There are things we need to think about or things that have upset us. We'll get to them. They'll be there afterwards. We can just say, no, no, not right now. I will definitely get back to you and then keep your promise. But for this Eightfold Past session, we're going to be here. In this way, we encourage wholesome states and discourage wholesome, unwholesome ones without any aversion or any grasping. As we continue on in this somewhat proactive way of meditating, we can also check that we're not overdoing. The mind is getting tired or busy, maybe 70% of what you were doing before. Because there does come a time where there's some momentum to the easier states, the easeful states. And then the doing kind of stirs it up. So playing a little bit with how much effort to put in. One image given in the suttas is of a goldsmith refining gold. And it's said that there are three things that he does and kind of rotates around which one he does. One is to stoke the flame, to make the gold a little more melty. Another is to sprinkle water, cool it off a bit. 
And the third is to look on with equanimity. If it's fine, he just needs to watch.
perhaps checking through the body again and seeing if any tension has developed. That can be a sign of over-effort. Maybe another 70% back off. Or maybe the mind's just been running free and it's time for a little more. Just keeping the mind as balanced and useful as possible. found that to be a really different way than you usually meditate? Only a few. Yeah. Maybe almost half. Um, It's not always the way it's taught, and I wanted to give some instructions that were specifically related to uh, wise effort and what we'll be talking about. So we'll see how how that unfolds for us this afternoon, and then you'll have the whole month to also explore these things. I'll try to speak up, but I see someone going for a hearing device. <laughs> they are available if anyone needs. So as I, as I said at the beginning, uh, we're transitioning from the ethical conduct portion of the path to these last three steps, which are effort, mindfulness, and concentration. And these are said to be 
the actually the concentration section of the path, the samadhi section. And it's also called the meditation steps or the mental development steps. So wise concentration is at the end, and this is the concentration section of the path, but I don't want you to get the sense that concentration is like the aim, <laughs> you know, it's like the, the pinnacle that you get to. All of the eight steps are pointing toward liberating insight. That's the point. But they transition toward uh, basically going farther inward, in this part at least. So we're, the transition that from working in the realm of speech and action to working in the realm of the mind is significant, actually. So you can see the transition in at least two different ways, which are related, I think. One is that if you're taking the steps in kind of a linear order, like we are just because you have to do some order, um, so you've been working with speech and action, out, you know, sort of actions in the world, essentially, although, of course, you had to you know, look at how your mind was doing them, there can be a natural movement inward where we say, where do my speech and action come from exactly? And of course they come from intention, right? The step before that, uh, that immediately precedes the ethical conduct section. So there is some logic to it. But as we start working in the realm of speech and action, you can start to think, well, how is it that, um, that all of this is arising and how could I change it at a sort of a deeper level? Um, I remember when I was considering this for myself early on in my practice, I don't know if this will be helpful or not, but maybe it says more about my mind, but the image that came to mind for me was, um, was that you have a vine that you're trying to move. I don't know why I thought of a vine, but you, you push on the leaves of the vine, and you know, how effective is that really for moving it? What you need to do is go grab you know, the base of the vine and pull it. And so there can be a, so I, I started saying, this is leaf pushing. <laughs> that was, that was my, my own personal phrase. And so there can get to be a sense of, I want to go deeper toward the source of this. And so there's a natural turning inward. Oh, let me see if I can work with my mind directly. Uh, and then that will have an effect on my speech and actions. It's great to work in the speech and action world because we're not, you know, we live in the world. But uh, this going toward the source uh, helps us go deeper we can get a sense that that's going to be more helpful. So that's one approach. And then this is actually supported by the way the teachings are, are written, is that it's even stated that speech and action don't get to the root of uh, the, the issues in the mind. They're very good in that it would be great if more people uh, were conscious about how they were living in the world, so I'm not at all diminishing three out of the eight steps of the path. They're very important. And yet, consider this uh, statement from the Buddha. What monks are those things that are abandoned neither by body nor by word, but by continually seeing with wisdom? Greed, hatred, delusion, anger, it goes on um, with other similar mental qualities. So in other words, the level of bodily action and speech doesn't touch, doesn't get all the way to the roots of suffering in the mind. Only wisdom can do that, actually. And wisdom is cultivated through meditation. Deeper wisdom is cultivated through meditation. So, inward we go. <laughs> and the first step is, is wise effort. 
which is kind of the transition between between the two. So, what is wise effort about? It's about making an effort to increase the amount of time that the mind spends in wholesome states, which correspondingly decreases the amount of time that it spends in unwholesome states. And wholesome states are specifically states without greed, hatred, or delusion in them. It's all very straightforward when you explain it, but not as easy when the mind is doing its thing, right? But it's it's noteworthy that wholesome states of mind are simply ones that don't have greed, hatred, or delusion. There's a huge amount of play there. The mind could have generosity, metta, equanimity, patience, concentration, joy, wisdom. There's really a lot of good things <laughs> that that can be present in the mind. It's also worth taking a moment to consider the significance of this step and our relationship to it. So the the phrase used is the word used is effort, right? Wise effort. And so then that tends to generate a response in our system somehow. How do you feel about the word effort? And you know, you may have had teachers earlier who said you need to be making more effort, or, you know, how about a more positive effort, <laughs> you know, these kinds of things. And so we have this kind of sense of eh, whatever. Or we may have been trying as hard as we could, and somebody said very casually, you know, you need to make more effort. It's like, oh, you know, I'm trying. And so we may have um, various things like that. So I just um, want to point that out. We also may have heard earlier some spiritual teaching that says, it's all effortless, you know. This is all about just, you know, floating in bliss and, and realizing our true nature, which is already there, if we could only recognize it. Um, you'll hear this, I'm being a little bit flippant, the, the, tradi- the Buddhist traditions that say it that way are, are deeper than that. But um, we may have a wrong idea that there's, you know, that it's supposed to be completely effortless. Um, in contrast, the Buddha was very clear that effort is required on the path. Um, your mind is not in its optimal state if you're not awakened. And it won't get there by wishing for it and not doing anything. At least it didn't ever work for me. I don't know about for you, for the first period of my life before I was practicing. I think any genuine spiritual path will acknowledge that effort is needed. Although, um, we should be aware that effort is necessary but not sufficient. So... Something else is needed besides effort, but effort is needed. Does that make sense, that sort of combination? The good news is that we actually all have the resources that we need to to make the effort. Um, that doesn't mean we do at every moment, but there's nothing inherently lacking in a standard human makeup that uh, would prevent you from walking a path. So everybody has the qualities that are needed but we may need to develop them. We need, may need to acknowledge them, understand what they are, appreciate them, have someone give us instructions, etc. But, but we all have the ability. This path is available to all if one puts in the effort. <laughs> I'm reminded of a story that I've used recently in Dharma Talks, but I'll say it again, which is that... Um, I was on retreat at IMS, and somebody raised their hand and said, 
a question, sort of a long question, the effect of which, you know, the gist of which was, doesn't the good always prevail? It's a question that's relevant for us in our hearts. And the teacher uh, looked right at this person and said very crisply, only if developed, which is a great answer. You know, the good prevails if it's developed. And so, you know, you can see in your own mind that if you just sit still and don't actually meditate, you just sort of sit there, um, does the good always prevail? No, the mind wanders around and does this and that, as it, as it does. But, um, it may be an article of faith for you at this point, but it is true that in the end, the, the end of suffering is stronger than suffering, let's say it that way that the good can prevail if developed. It's, it's not going to be a fruitless effort, but um, it is only if developed. So wise effort is usually laid out in four steps, so I'll just name them here. Uh, they're, made, they're not that they're totally crystal clear separate things, and they don't go in order necessarily. I find that doing one of them tends to pull in the others, so but at least it's helpful to know the four different dimensions. So the first is preventing. Uh, preventing unwholesome states that aren't there from arising. And that's, that's nice. It's like you're protecting your mind, basically. And we have various ways of protecting it that fortunately get less elaborate as the path goes on. You know, first we do things like force ourselves into silence. You know, we... Uh, we need to come to the center a lot and get instruction and have guided meditations because we can't do it on our own and all these things. And, and it feels like there's a lot of protection that's needed. And then, you know, as, as things go along, the idea is that we would be able to walk through the world and, and be fine uh, in all kinds of different situations. But there can be some, some protection required, and this is kind of embodied in the prevention state. It happens on little scales, too. Like, for example, if I'm driving and for some reason my mind is not in a good state and I get irritated with a driver in front of me, I probably notice that, but if for some reason I then later am able to pass that car, if the irritation is for any, if any trace of it is still in my mind, I don't look at the driver of that car. Why? I'm preventing any... I know my mind in that state is going to do something with that. It's going to judge that person or that type of person, whatever it is. I mean, maybe not really, really badly, but it's just a small thing. I don't need to know who that is. I don't need to know anything about that person. If my mind is free by that time of the, the irritation that was passing through, then it doesn't matter. It's safe. I could look or not look. But just a little thing. You know, I don't need that. I don't need that bit of unwholesomeness to come into my mind. The second um, dimension, if you will, of wise effort is abandoning. So abandoning unwholesome states that have already arisen, ones that are already there. If we're not fully awakened, it's going to happen that at some point our prevention fails and something gets in. And so, you know, lo and behold, we're angry, we're depressed, we're greedy, whatever it is. And so then the sense is, oh, I don't want this in my mind. You know what? It would be better if this weren't here. So this is what we practiced a little bit in the meditation. And there are lots and lots of available techniques, right? This is where a lot of practice happens, is how do I work with the stuff that's um, 
preventing me from being at ease, which is namely all the unwholesome states that have crept into my mind. I don't know how you feel about the words wholesome and unwholesome, by the way. You can call them skillful or unskillful. They're definitely not good and bad, as in qualities of you, so don't, don't take them personally. But the sense is things that lead toward suffering and things that lead away from suffering. If you prefer to think in that way, if you're hanging on to your anger or sadness or greed as necessary, it, it leads toward suffering. One thing that we, we're going to talk more about this later, um, but one, one thing that we learn early on is that aversion toward the, the states that we're trying to abandon doesn't work, right? Because its aversion is ill will. It's one of the hindrances. It's one of the unwholesome states of mind. So there's something interesting, right? It just adds another one on top if we're angry at our anger or you know, irritated that we're irritated. <laughs> you know, I should be better than that. Just added another arrow, as they say. So I appreciate that this, this gives us some understanding of the subtlety of the path right, right up front, is that um, we do need to do something about these things that are in the mind, but if we hate them, that doesn't help. And so what, what, what would we do then? So we have to find a way, like with children, for example, that are misbehaving, how do I very lovingly get this to stop, <laughs> you know? Um, and so there's, right up front, we're learning uh, the middle way on the path between just indulgence. Let, if you don't want to do anything to discipline children and let them do whatever they want, what a disaster <laughs> that would be. And, but, of course, you know, a lot of force and other things, also a disaster. Right? So the same thing in the mind. The third dimension of effort is to cultivate. Like what the teacher said, only if developed, only if cultivated. So to cultivate good states of mind, wholesome states of mind that are not present. So we can, you know, these are things that people um, deliberately take up. I'd like to develop metta. I'd like to cultivate equanimity, patience. These are beautiful things. It's a very uh, noble thing to decide that we're going to bring something beautiful into our mind. This is where the past starts getting fun <laughs> because, you know, you're, um, you're doing something good, you're doing wise effort, and then say you put in some effort to develop more metta than you had before, you get the, the benefit of metta, <laughs> which is a nice thing to have in the mind. So sometimes this is neglected because of the, this, this aspect of effort is neglected because of the negative bent of our mind. We're so upset about our anger and our depression and our fear that we're like, I gotta fix that, I gotta fix that, I gotta fix that. But um, we can remember that it's perfectly valid along the way to cultivate joy, to cultivate love, to cultivate compassion, to cultivate wisdom. So, uh, and then we get the beautiful benefits of having those things in our mind. You don't have to, these, these are not, like I said, in order. <laughs> so you don't have to have eliminated all the things that are difficult in your mind before you start working on these pleasant ones, the fun ones, the good ones. Maybe I shouldn't say fun, maybe that's disrespectful, but I don't know. These are, uh, <laughs> these are lovely states of mind. We should cultivate them. And then the fourth dimension, as you might guess, is maintaining 
the wholesome states that have arisen. So, wow, my mind is peaceful today. Maybe I could protect that a little bit. So again, there's a protection element. Maybe I shouldn't uh, turn on the news right when I get home because I'm feeling pretty peaceful. Maybe I should just make dinner in a peaceful state of mind. Just like in number two, in abandoning, we see some subtlety because, of course, positive, pleasant, wholesome states of mind. I should say, by the way, that all wholesome states of mind are not pleasant, but many of them are. Um, but, yeah, most of them are. So when we have them, of course, there's the tendency to grasp them. Oh, this is great. I got it. <laughs> I got it. <laughs> and so then you hold on to it, and lo and behold, the grasping, guess what? <laughs> That's one of those unwholesome states of mind. And so we, um, we discover the subtlety of finding a way to keep wholesome states of mind is that we can't grab onto them, just like we can't push away and be angry about the negative <laughs> ones. So there's some subtlety in kind of keeping the, the wholesome ones there. And again, we learn some suppleness in working with our own mind. How can I keep this going without grasping onto it? And when it does end, which it inevitably will, can I just let it go into a neutral state as opposed to being upset and changing from a, from a you know, wholesome state to an unhappy state? That's another art form. So it might be worth noting that energy or effort appears in the most lists. You know that Buddhism has a lot of lists, <laughs> and it appears in the most lists. So here it is in the Eightfold Path. It's also a factor of awakening, a spiritual faculty, uh, one of the powers, and other things. So a lot of, a lot of lists have that. All of them use the word virya, which is the Pali word, virya. Yes, it's related to the word virile in English, but, you know, we don't have to think of it only in that term. And it can be translated either way, as energy or as effort, and it's used, and it's kind of depends on the context, which one is, is better, which is emphasized. So that's, that's all just a way of saying that it's a very important factor very relevant. Over time, we will learn different ways that virya manifests for us. I think everyone has it a little bit differently. And also, it changes over time. It develops. All the steps on the path develop, which means they're different at the, when you first try them out than after some time of practice. So, for example, at the beginning, effort can be a little clunky. <laughs> there's, um, there's a me doing something. You know, I'm the one cultivating metta. I'm monitoring my mind and keeping this out and bringing that in. It's all a lot of doing. Utejaniya calls this personal effort, which is fine. It's a, it's a part, a valid part of virya to do personal effort. Um, valid part of the path, for sure. But it is distinct from the effort that is made more impersonally, say, by wisdom. As Utejaniya says, even wisdom wants things. It does. Wisdom wants you to be peaceful. It wants to see clearly. 
And if we put wisdom in charge of the mind, things will still get done, but it won't be the sense of, I have to create this. So maybe this is more like what people start calling effortless effort. I don't want to completely dismiss such a term when I sort of dismissed effortlessness earlier. I think when, when we get to the point where the, there's momentum to the practice and we're doing things in our practice, but it's really wisdom that's doing them. Uh, you know, we, we have a sense, oh, I need to be doing this now. And so we, we, it's just natural that we bring forth energy to cultivate compassion or to go on a retreat or to go on a long hike, whatever it is that, we're, that it seems like wisdom is telling us to do. That can feel effortless because it's not about me trying to create something. Uh, it can feel very natural, and so I guess that's where the term effort, effortless effort comes from. But it's still a doing. You know, there is there are still things being done, and it can even be very strong and effortful. Um, you know, often we associate personal effort with efforting, doing too much. Um, but even when it's the effort of wisdom or something else, it can it can be very strong. Um, We don't have to think it's always just going to be light. But sometimes it's very light. Sometimes you've, you know, like when you're riding a bike, you've pedaled enough. Stop pedaling. Just coast. (laughs) That can happen. But then you'll need to pedal again later at some point. And sometimes you just let the bike come to a stop. But definitely the pedaling is part of it. So if you've practiced for a while, if you're someone who's practiced for a while, it might be interesting, and and you've mostly done personal effort, it might be interesting for you to back off a little bit from that and see what happens. See if it's possible, if there will be some, some, somewhere that the practice wants to go. See what that is, and we might not see that, if we're always doing personal effort, we're always doing, I need to do this, I need to do that, the teacher said I should do this, I read a book, it says I should do that. If there's always that element in the mind, um, wisdom sometimes can't get a word in edgewise. <laughs> and so it can be interesting to, if you've practiced for a while, to back off and see where the path wants to go and then allow that energy or effort to come forth. So there's kind of these two aspects of effort. There's the four steps of how do you actually make effort? What are the areas that effort would be made in? And then there's the degree. You know, there's is it going to be strong effort or um, sort of lighter effort in any of those given dimensions? There's a story of a monk named Sona who was um, very wealthy and you know sort of a refined noble type. But he wanted to walk the path, and so he ordained, and um, and he was doing walking meditation, and he was so into it that he walked and walked and walked and walked, and was putting in a lot of effort, and his feet started bleeding, and then you know he went, he did what many of us do, he went completely to the opposite extreme, and he said, "Poof, this is oh, this is terrible, my feet are bleeding." Why don't I just go back? You know, I could just robe, I could go back to my beautiful home. 
says, I could, I still want to live a virtuous life, but I could make merit and enjoy sense pleasures. And that would be easy, <laughs> right? And so he, he sort of flips, and, and the Buddha realizes that he's thinking this and comes and says, hey, Sona, did you just have this thought that you were going to disrobe and go back and make merit? And Sona says, well, yes, I did. And the Buddha says, well, let me give you an analogy. Uh, were you a lute player when you were a householder? And he says, yes, I was. And he says, well, how was it? How is it? Just what do you think? When the lute what strings were too tight, did the lute sound good? Did it play well? And he said, no. He said, well, how about when they were too loose? Did it play well? And he said, no. He says, all right. And so then when you had them tuned just right, neither too tight nor too loose, then was your lute beautiful? And he said, yes. And so he says, in the same way, there's a way that we can over-effort and a way that we can under-effort. And when our effort is perfectly in tune, that's when the mind is really going to settle down into concentration and wisdom. And so Sona gets the analogy and goes on to liberation, of course. Um, but it's, this is very relevant for us also. And that's related to this image of the goldsmith. It's a different image, of course. But there's a sense of you know, playing with the mind and the amount of effort. Do I need to be putting more in, stoking the fire? Do I need to be putting less in, sprinkling water on, backing off? Or is everything pretty good and I just need to go with the energy as it's unfolding? So this is another area to play with this month. There's a lot to do, <laughs> um, is to explore those four dimensions and also how much effort or how little effort is needed to balance the mind. So with all of that, I'll say that an absolutely essential ingredient in working with effort is a sense of humor. And so, a sense of humor. It's, um, don't take your mind too personally. Uh, this, all the stuff that appears in it is conditioned, it's coming up because of habits and patterns and external conditions and other things. And it's not... Um, it's not something that says something about you as a person, necessarily. It also, um, yeah, well, so we, we find ways to talk to our mind, maybe I'll add that. Sylvia Borstein says that um, when her mind is really acting up, she'll say, sweetheart, and begin her self-talk with the word sweetheart, <laughs> and then her mind kind of softens up a little bit. and. Um, Venerable Analio, a monk uh, that I was just on retreat with, he was saying that he'll uh, laugh at himself and say, oh, Analio, there you go again. You know, he has to have this very kind of charitable, humorous attitude. This is really helpful when we're cultivating or preventing or abandoning all those factors that we're doing. It's just to um, have a sense that we're working with something that's kind of like an artistic medium. And we, you know, you don't have, when you're an artist, you understand that you don't have total control over the medium, but um, you can influence it in certain ways. And so, you know, our mind is like that. It's also, I've heard it analogized many times to a child. The mind has, you know, the, the, the mind, the habitual conditioned mind is very much like a child. And so there's a sense of working with it in that same spirit. It is true that letting go is finally what we're aiming to do. So 
uh, letting go of craving and clinging in particular for good. But this isn't done instantly or by wishing. It's done through various kinds of effort. So I don't want to um, make you think that it's all about the effort and in the end you have to do everything and then the last thing that you do is, you know, it's like when you've piled up enough credits you get the degree or whatever. It, it doesn't quite work like that. Effort is, like I said, it's necessary but not sufficient. So the uh, letting go never comes from effort. It, it doesn't come directly from effort. It happens because effort has set up the conditions for it to happen. So that's just how the path works, is that in the end there's some act that we didn't do. Um, so there's the need of before that to cultivate the various factors. We don't just let go. You, know, you can't get to awakening from only letting go from where you are. We have to let go into something, even if it's a leap, even if we're leaping into something. We have to let go into something that we feel confident in. And we develop that confidence through the effort of working with our mind, through the experience of practice. This path is sometimes said to lead to what's called the sure heart's release, which I think is very beautiful. How does it get assured? Through the work that it's done. It feels assured enough to release. So that's the role of effort. Okay, so as usual at this point, um, you'll have a chance to talk in small groups. We have 13 people, a perfectly prime number. So why don't we have um, three groups of three and a group of four? And I'll let you guys arrange yourself and then I'll give you the first question. So the first question is, what is your relationship to the idea of effort on the path? Do you feel energized, hopeful, discouraged, some combination or something else? You know, just kind of talk about your relationship to the idea of effort on the path. And we'll, have, we'll let each person speak. It's a fairly simple question, so I'll give you, I think, just about a minute. Um, and then... Uh, without any crosstalk, we should just let each person express themselves, and then there will be a little time at the end. Okay, so the first person can get started. Um, the, the struggle is struggles and effort something I Okay, so the, um, the second question is, has a few parts to it, okay? So um, there are two aspects of wise effort that work with unwholesome states, right? Preventing and abandoning, and there's two that work with wholesome states, cultivating and maintaining. So the question is, what attracts you about working with unwholesome states? What attracts you about working with wholesome states? And which one needs more attention in your practice right now? 
So just sort of a self-assessment along those lines, and I'll give you each a couple minutes again. So go ahead, the first person can start. My attraction is to unwholesome states. Mm-hmm. 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 So that sounded pretty interesting. So I didn't get to hear any of that, or much of it. So I'm curious if you have any wisdom you'd like to share with the larger group or anything that you noticed. Questions are good, too. It came up, um, and, and I just resonated to what someone else said about how the wholesome tends in our mind to be tied up with activity, doing good things, whatever they are. But I asked myself, is this true? How could you just be in a state of being? And how is that wholesome? I see. Yeah, so if you think of, maybe instead of the word wholesome, the word skillful, maybe that helps a little bit. Absolutely, these are mind states that we're talking about. They have not necessarily manifested as actions or speech. Of course, you know, actions and speech that are helpful manifest from good intentions. But um, definitely the cultivation of the mind can happen I won't quite say 24-7, because most of us sleep, but uh, it can happen all the time. And absolutely it's helpful to just be sitting there and feel content, compared to just be sitting there and feel irritated. Because you matter. The state of your mind um, in your world is a big part of your world, right? And so it's completely wholesome to be sitting there with metta, patience, generosity, even if all you're doing is sitting quietly. I mean, imagine if the whole world was like that. (laughs) Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be nice? So, um, it definitely, there's, we can check in our mind what it is that makes us think we have to prove that somehow, externally. Um, Yeah. But this is the step where we start moving inward, right? So I can understand where this question comes from, having just worked on the, uh, the external factors of the path, which are almost half of the path, right? And so it's important. But uh, we're starting to turn inward, and effort is kind of the transition where we start to work directly with our mind states, which of course influence our actions. But, yeah. but it's really about the mind state. Yeah. Maybe yeah, uh, rather than with this external versus internal, um, one of the things we've been talking about in our group is that it's uh, perhaps easier to recognize when an unwholesome state has arisen and then to do something about it than to prevent unarisen unwholesome states from arising. That, that sort of that feels like more tenuous in a way. And one of the uh, suggestions or thoughts that came up in our group is well, then you try to not get into situations that you know cause uh, un, un, uh, unwholesome states to arise for you, which might be lifestyle changes, or mm-hmm. you know, like it seems like it can, that that part of it would point back toward maybe doing in the world part of the path. Oh, I see. Yeah, so this, I think I'll pick up with something that I said in the Dharma talk, which was that it starts out being something fairly external often, is that we are 
avoiding certain places or certain people or certain situations. Um, and that's kind of a, a blunt, large manifestation. But then, you know, more subtly, we can start to attune to, you know, we can, we can start to feel when an unwholesome mind state <laughs> is thinking about coming, and there can be ways to just put that aside. Um, I don't know if this is quite prevention, because it almost comes, but there was a, there's a practice that Joseph Goldstein uh, suggests, which is that whenever the mind makes a negative assertion, you add on to it, I don't know. <laughs> so it'll say, you know, that was sure clumsy of you, I don't know. <laughs> and so you kind of, you know, you kind of immediately um, turn that away. I guess that's more abandoning because it's already arisen. But you, if you can start to feel the mind going into that. Oh, I do have an example. A friend of mine um, got bit by a dog. She was out with her dog and the dogs got in a fight and she tried to intervene and uh, the other dog uh, bit her arm. And so, and she actually got somewhat injured and had to go to the emergency room and get stitches and such. And so, of course, her mind replays this, you know, how could, how could I have done? It's not that wise to try to break up a dog fight. And, you know, so she had thoughts and, and she could, she's a pretty long-term advanced meditator. She's a teacher actually. And she said that she could feel her mind. Uh, of course, a few times it got caught up in that. But she could feel her mind when it would start to lean toward grumbling and griping. You know, I've got, now I've got this bandage on my arm that I have to take care of. And she could start to feel it going that way. And she could just divert it um, when she saw that energy starting to gather. So that's a great example of prevention just in the mind and right in the moment. Absolutely. Yeah, um, that's a, an aspect of it. Yeah, so preventing things from the wrong things from coming in, or from from getting inflamed. Linda, I thought you had your hand up earlier. I was trying to figure out if this is relevant or not because it's not exactly part of the question. But one of the things that's been very interesting to me is to chew on this notion of practice for practice sake versus practice for fixing something. And this notion of effort, you know, how do you know, how do you know when mm. you're doing, you know, I'm, I'm practicing, practicing, oh, this feels good. I don't know, I keep doing it so I can feel good, you know, and then all of a sudden it's that. And so it was all tied up in effort and I've just been really interested and curious about all that. Yeah. That was a little bit why I asked about our personal relationship to effort, because that should be conscious, it should be mindful, and then you can know <laughs> that that's going on for you. I think what I'll do is distinguish then, make that distinction that Utejaniya makes between personal effort and effort that comes from wisdom or some other, you know, it's some other factor of the mind doing it. So if there's a you there, um, and in this particularly self-improvement is a big, it's a big, great big me <laughs> there. If there's a, a, a me there, that's a warning flag that it might not, you know, that it might be going toward effort that's too much or too li- or or in the wrong direction. <laughs> Whereas if it feels more like um, like the effort is leading toward letting go in some way, um, that or and it's not coming from me and it's not about me, then that is more likely to be wholesome effort that um, is just a, a normal part of the path. Does that help a little bit? Yeah, so look for the self. Yeah.
Yeah. Just to continue on uh, that the self is involved. I, in, in my own experience, and, and particularly with this question, it stimulated the thinking that I'm spending a lot of time in uh, focusing on negative traits or things that are affecting me negatively and the effort and discipline mm. to address them and the joy uh, the positive aspects uh, being able to do that simultaneously lighten up here and add something to bring things into more balance uh, yeah because I really feel that I'm on the overweighted on that other end of the spectrum yeah it's, it's, uh, it's almost like uh, the earlier line of trying to extinguish something but not having a place where you're going, uh, what are you replacing it with? What are you, what are you, what are you letting go there? into? Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that because I'm sure you're not the only one. Um, it's a very common mental tendency, especially in the West, that we, we want to fix all the problems. <laughs> and and that we're, it's also easier, just it's even been shown evolutionarily that we have this bias towards seeing things that are dangerous or difficult or negative. Um, simply because that was evolutionarily successful. You know, the, the little mammals that said, everything's fine. I'm sure that thing in the bushes isn't dangerous. La-di-da. <laughs> you know, didn't pass on their genes as much as the ones who said, let's get out of here. <laughs> so, a little bit humorous, but um, we still carry those tendencies in our mind. So yeah, just the fact that you know that already about yourself is already really important. And if um, and this is a great area for humor, and it's also a great area for buddies. Like you can have a buddy, an effort buddy, <laughs> and I encourage you this month if if you want, um, like you know, agree with somebody that you're going to text each day one thing that uh, you noticed that was really great that happened in your mind or something, or some really happy state, and then you can't go to bed until you've noticed something and texted your friend. So, I don't know, little practices like this that just slowly move the momentum. I know it's, there's a lot of momentum and it may not just instantly change, but um, what you're highlighting is important, is that there are these different dimensions. We, yes, we have to work with the unwholesome ones, but we also get to work with all the wholesome ones. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. Did that help? You didn't exactly have a question, so I just talked, but... That did help. Okay. <laughs> all of it has helped. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Well, this is good. We've done really good work up to now. Why don't we take a little break and then we'll come back uh, in, I don't know, about seven minutes? Yeah. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.